If you have a Bible, you can maybe turn to the passage we read together in Romans in chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. The Archbishop of Canterbury got himself into quite a, a difficult position, didn't he, as he proposed that our nation forgives Prince Andrew for his wrongdoings. Uh, there wasn't much support uh, for his position, and he has tried to backtrack this, and as sometimes happens, argues that his words were taken out of context. The nation desired that justice uh, would be served on the prince for what he has done and how he has reacted uh, to his actions and to the, the court case uh, which came to him. There is this innate desire within each of us made in the image of God that righteousness will be done in situations, judgments and circumstances. And as we come to communion today, we're, we're thinking of the righteousness of God in the cross of Jesus Christ as set out in verse 25 and 26 of the chapter we read from this morning. Traditionally, there has been this understanding, and we support this a traditional understanding of verses 21 to 26, that righteousness is used in two different ways in these verses. The righteousness of God occurs four times in verses 21 to 26 and is the dominant theme of this passage, but it's used in two different ways. This evening we'll be thinking of a different use of this phrase, the righteousness of God, as we think of God's righteousness being imputed to us when we believe unworthy and guilty, though we are before God, yet through Christ and by grace he imputes righteousness to us as we believe in Jesus. But in verses 25 and 26, the two other places that this phrase, the righteousness of God, is used, we're not thinking of that imputed righteousness of the life of Christ to us, but rather of this attribute of God, of his justice, his holiness, his moral rectitude, that he always does what is right, what is true. What is righteous. And we want to see today that we have in these verses a, a revelation of the righteousness of God in the cross and how that impacts our understanding of the Old Testament and then of the New Testament actions of God. The revelation of God's righteousness then in the cross. We have in verse 25a the words, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. As we come to communion today, as we think of the broken body of Christ, the shed blood, one explanation for this is the righteousness of God. We see his wisdom in the cross of Jesus. We taste his love in the cross of Jesus. 
but we're also to observe his righteousness in the cross of Jesus. The word propitiation in our Bible here, and, and rightly so in the Bible, it's not in the NIV, it's in the, the ESV, and rightly so. It, it comes from two Greek words, one meaning place and the other meaning reconciliation. And so the word propitiation, going by the Greek, has this idea of the place of reconciliation. The cross of Jesus is the place of reconciliation. And communion allows us to to revisit that incredible moment when God and sinners were reconciled in the death of Jesus Christ. But but the word has this added idea that the reconciliation takes place by blood, as the verse says, blood of sacrifice satisfying the wrath of a righteous God. The reconciliation is not effected by sweeping things under the carpet, but by God's just anger being appeased by the precious life of the Son of God offered as a substitutionary sacrifice in our place. In chapter 1 and verse 18, we studied together God's wrath. In chapter 2 and verse 5, we considered again the wrath of God that that awaits those who, who do not repent and believe and respond to the forbearance and patience of God. And here, chapter 3, verse 25, brings us back to this. God's just wrath against we who have sinned is appeased by the death of Christ. And so the cross becomes a place of reconciliation. This word propitiation is rare in the Bible It's found only twice in the New Testament, once here and once in Hebrews 9, verse 5, this form of the word propitiation. And the reference in Hebrews 9, verse 5, helps us understand the idea here. The word is translated in Hebrews 9, verse 5 as mercy seat. And it's taking us back into the Old Testament, to the type to the analogy, to the shadow in the Old Testament, to that golden box, the Ark of the Covenant, with its golden lid and angels overshadowing that lid. And especially to that one outstanding day in the Jewish year, the Day of Atonement, when that one leader, religious leader of the people, the high priest, would take blood and enter into the holy place and then into the holiest of all and would sprinkle the blood, the sacrifice in the place of the nation on the mercy seat. And that offering of sacrifice became the place of reconciliation. And what was typified then is fulfilled in Jesus Christ the true sacrifice 
the supreme sacrifice, the final sacrifice. He propitiates God. He appeases his wrath by dying for our sins. You see the language in verse 25, whom God put forward. The words literally mean publicly displayed. He put him forward openly, publicly, so that all could see. And there seems to be a deliberate contrast here in the apostles writing between the day of atonement when the sacrifice was concealed. Only the high priest within the holy place, and then within the holiest of all. It was all hidden, mysterious, unseen. But the cross of Christ was publicly displayed. The soldiers saw him offering the atoning sacrifice. The mocking Pharisees saw him offering propitiation. The woman from Jerusalem who followed him witnessed the supreme sacrifice of Christ. The righteousness of God demanded sin was punished, but his love, his mercy, his grace in him and the spirit in Christ provides the sacrifice from heaven. And Jesus offers this wrath appeasing Sacrifice which becomes for us the place of reconciliation. Isn't that wonderful today? Reconciled to Almighty God in Jesus Christ. Did you see the seating arrangement in St. Paul's Cathedral on Friday? Harry. Second seat on the left-hand side. William, first seat on the right-hand side. This stark contrast. There was no reconciliation. But for us, through Jesus Christ, sinners though we are, we are reconciled to God. God has done it all. See the language in verse 25, whom God put forward. His initiative, his purpose, his plan beyond the greed of Judas, beyond the hatred of the Jews, beyond the weakness of Pilate was the purpose and grace and righteousness of God he put forward as a propitiation by his blood, his son Jesus Christ. Secondly, the righteousness of God in the Old Testament. Verse 25b deals uh, with this righteousness of God revealed in the cross and how it helps us to understand God's actions in the Old Testament. The phrase used here in, in verse number 25b is, in his divine forbearance, he passed over. Former sins. You see the question, don't you? 
If God is righteous as the apostle is claiming, then why did he not punish sins in the Old Testament? And the answer is going to be because he was going to show his righteousness in the offering and sacrifice of his son. God passed over sins in Old Testament times. It's a a reference not to our lives so much, but to God's dealings in the Old Testament. And he passed over sins then in two ways, didn't he? In some instances, he forgave people. We have the case, and we will see it in chapter 4 of Romans, of Abraham, which we read today. He was counted righteous. We have the case of David, as the apostle will cite, who was declared forgiven. So here are instances of God passing over former sins in forgiveness. Abraham the idolater. David the murderer and adulterer, the righteous God, passes over these sins. And in other cases, God does not deal with people as their sins deserved. This was a case that the wisdom literature addressed, that the wicked prosper, the righteous suffer. Where is this righteous God when the godless are are triumphing. And the answer the apostle has is that God was delaying the demonstration of this righteous, communicable attribute of his until the cross. And there he would show in its severity, in its fullness, as his son is forsaken on the tree. That he is absolutely righteous. Student loans uh, can be misinterpreted uh, by some students. Uh, They they mount up this massive loan and and can in in their their dreams uh, uh, imagine that this will never be called in. That the government will eventually weaken and, and cancel the student loans. But it hasn't happened. And they are being called in. The interest rates are rising on them. And in the Old Testament, people could have seen the providential actions of God and wondered, is he righteous? Forgiving David, where's his justice? Forgiving Abraham, where's his righteousness? The apostle says, it's in the cross. The propitiation by the very blood of his son. We face the same questions today, don't we? I'm sure many Ukrainian people are asking about God's righteousness as their sons are captured by the Russians, as families are split apart, as as houses are rent from them, as they're displaced from their beloved country. Where is this just and righteous God? And our answer that the apostle has is the very same. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. His body broken. His blood shed for sinners such as us. 
doesn't have to give this powerful demonstration of his righteousness to every human being or in every century. He has done this supremely in the cross of Jesus. And then thirdly, the New Testament. And and once again, this questioning of God's righteousness arises. And this time, it's, it's in this incredible action of God in verse 26 that he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And this is incredible and it pulls forth questions from many people in society and they say, that's not fair. We've probably all heard this about the dying thief who lived a scandalous life and at this very moment of death believes in Jesus and enters paradise. That's not fair. Where is the righteous dealings of God in such a situation? We get the question. Because throughout Scripture, God insists on dealing with one another in a righteous way. Deuteronomy 25 verse 1, he commands judges to declare the wicked guilty and the innocent righteous and not to get these judgments mixed up by bribes or by a sense of injustice. So is there one law for him and a different law for us? Has that power that he has impacted his dealings with humanity? And once again, the answer is in the cross of Jesus, he is absolutely righteous. His son dies for sinners. God's righteous judgment is absorbed by his son. So that verse 26 says he can remain just and yet be the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Solomon, in his reign, he began by displaying a a range of attributes, didn't he? He showed his wisdom. He showed his mercy. But he also showed his justice in dealing with Job and Shimei. And God in the cross is displaying his attributes, his love to us, his wisdom, but also his righteousness. That sin must be punished. That his justice must be seen. But he does this in the most incredible way. That our sin is transferred to his son, Jesus Christ. He dies in our place. If you're not yet a Christian here, what a message this is. What a reality. What a truth to be grasped by you in this very moment. See the simplicity of verse 26. The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As we 
the guilty and our weakness and our humility and our repentance cast our all on Jesus Christ in that split moment. God declares us to be as righteous as he is. And if we are a Christian, let us come to communion today with humbled hearts, but grateful hearts that God is just. Then his justice, he has dealt with our sin in his son, Jesus Christ. My body broken for you. My blood shed for you. His justice at the cross. Many people, some theologians, want no talk of God's wrath. They want to talk only of his love. A church theologian, Anselm, in the 11th century encountered such argument. And his reply to them was, you have not yet considered the weight of sin. And we have considered it. We know our guilt. And we are grateful with all our hearts that that weight of sin that lay on us was placed on Jesus Christ. His righteousness in the Old Testament, forgiving, forbearing, what a God. In these moments, our hearts are filled with gratitude that he has not dealt with us as we deserve, but he has been forgiving and forbearing to us. In the New Testament, God is just, and yet, at the very same time, because of the cross, the justifier of the one who has faith, in Jesus. Forty years ago, Ian Mackay died in the Falklands War. His daughter was four years old at the time and has never spoken about his death since then. Such was the pain of her mother and her own pain. She said it was a great price to be paid for freedom. Many times she has wished that her father had just hid behind a rock. He was awarded the Victoria Cross for his bravery. The, the war ended two days later, but she has felt the pain all her life. What a price for our freedom. What a price God the Spirit paid. God the Father paid. God the Son paid for our freedom. And once more we come with gratitude and thanks and humility and praise.